Hello, everyone. So today we'll be talking about Jacques Derrida, who is widely considered to be the father of postmodernism and one of the leading figures in the theory. So overview of the session. We'll begin by introducing Derrida and the main goal of his theory. Then we'll dive deeper into his ideas, which include binary oppositions, logocentrism, différence, and deconstruction. So, introduction. Jacques Derrida is an Algerian French philosopher and is commonly credited with founding postmodernism. And his ideas were made famous when he published Of Grammatology, which was an exploration of linguistics and semiotics. So, linguistics is the study of language, semiotics is the study of signs and symbols. And if you think about it, postmodernism itself can really just be reduced to just a linguistic or semiotic theory as it deals with how we perceive things in the way that we do and how society structures us to perceive things in those ways. And therefore, it's just a theory of signs and how we perceive those signs and how we create those signs. And the book was written in the peak of the linguistic turn philosophy around the 50s or 60s and like famous analytic philosophers like Austin, Wittgenstein and Russell all worked in this tradition where philosophers started to have a greater interest in language and viewed language as a source of absolute truth or meaning and as an answer to traditional metaphysical questions and then since postmodernism is a widely continental tradition, it can be considered the continental alternative to the philosophy of language and logic in analytic philosophy. And then, of course, Derrida also took great inspiration from classical linguists like Saussure, who was famous for coming up with the signifier-signified distinction. And much of Derrida's ideas are simply a critique of traditional metaphysics. And so the core concepts of postmodernism are just a reversal of commonly held assumptions and philosophical ideas. This is why the theorist Jean-François Lyotard wrote in the introduction to his book, Postmodern Condition, that the postmodern is the incredulity towards metanarratives. And metanarratives can be defined as grand overarching systems which govern the way we understand the world around us and therefore a reversal of the commonly held assumptions and the meta-narratives is what defines postmodernism as a whole and since Derrida is very widely considered to be the founder of the postmodern tradition it can be said that all postmodern philosophy afterwards just continues this system of trying to go against well-established ideas. And this is why most postmodern thinkers are atheists, since belief in God is traditionally a metaphysical assumption that is widely accepted, at least in European societies. And so postmodernism brings with it atheism and nihilism and other ideas which reject the traditionally accepted ideas. Uh, so one of the first key concepts in the philosophy of Derrida is that of binary oppositions. 
So for example, day and night, light and dark, mind and body. And so these three are all binary oppositions where there's a clear distinction between the first and the second. So day and night are widely considered to be opposites and so are ideas like mind and body in philosophy. But it can be said that in these binary oppositions, the former is assumed to be better or more authentic than the latter. So for example, in day and night, people would generally associate day with more positive connotations and more pejorative connotations with night. So yeah, in most binary oppositions, there is a clear hierarchy or an unconscious preference of one part of the opposition over the other. And the two specific binaries which Derrida is interested in are literal meaning and metaphor and reason and unreason. So literal meaning is what is there. Like in regular day-to-day speech, most people only deal with literal meaning, but then metaphor involves the perceiver to a greater extent as it is more involved with interpretation and is less direct or that clear and can lead to ambiguity. And reason and unreason is quite clear. Reason is the ideal that was championed in Enlightenment era philosophy and unreason seems to be something that's assumed to be inferior to reason and I guess Derrida is trying to destroy this assumption and try and balance out our views of the parts of the binary oppositions. So Derrida believes that metaphors are usually regarded as less and secondary to literal meaning, but he thinks that this is a flawed idea because literal meaning can also be defined negatively as which is not metaphor. And same with yeah, and same with reason and unreason, as I recently mentioned. And he proceeds to argue that metaphors are essential to texts, and objects are nothing if not interpreted. And this is very similar to the idea of the death of the author from an article by the theorist Roland Barthes, where it is basically said that the author's intentions of what their literature wants to convey is irrelevant, at least in the postmodern age, as interpretation can be deemed equally, if not more, important to the text or literature itself. And the Western privilege of reason over unreason, or essence over existence in philosophy, is part of what he calls logocentrism, and where he thinks the problems and inconsistencies of philosophy arise. So, yeah, Derrida thinks philosophy is this puzzle, and you can solve it if you get rid of this logocentrism, and then all disagreements within philosophy can be removed. So now we'll talk more about logocentrism. Derrida thought that if logocentrism is eliminated, then he can create this new system of philosophy that is better than the previous philosophical systems of the past. And this new system is his version of postmodernism. 
And so logocentrism is the privilege of one part of a binary opposition of the other, which we discussed in earlier slide. And as a linguist, Derrida spent a large portion of his book of grammatology disproving the logocentric idea that speech is more natural or real than writing, so in the speech-writing binary opposition. And he did this by contending that it is equally as probable for writing to derive from speech and for speech to derive from writing. And this is part of why the idea is called logocentrism, because the word, the word logo derives from the word for word, and centrism means you're only centered or focused on the word, and therefore you're focused on the written form of language rather than the spoken form of language. And that is kind of what Derrida is trying to bring back, because traditionally in linguistics, there has been a privilege of speech over writing. And so, yeah, Derrida thinks that logocentrism exists because of the assumption that there exists truth or an external reality outside of linguistic science. So if we think back to Saussurean linguistics with the distinction between the signifier and the signified, the signifier is seen as an inferior representation of the signified, and the signified is seen as truthful. So for example, if I see a tree, then the tree is the signified object, but then the word tree is the signifier. And so Derrida thinks that in linguistics, at least traditionally, we have assumed that the real tree exists outside of the word tree. And so we can see that this also ties to ontology and questioning fundamental metaphysical ideas. Now we'll talk about différence. So différence is a word Derrida coined which characterizes his notion that meaning is given and not fully present to us. Uh, it's a deliberate misspelling of the French word différence, which is still pronounced the same way as, so the two words différence and différence, they're both pronounced the same. So this is a counterexample to the logocentric idea that speech is more authentic than writing because the speech form of the two words are identical, but their forms in writing are different, which means that new meaning can be conveyed through the writing, which cannot be found in the speech. So it shows that there is not necessarily a very clear hierarchy of speech over writing. And they also both still mean the same thing because the meaning given to it allows it to be so. So différence with an A is given the same meaning as différence with an E by Derrida. So it shows that meaning is given rather than fully present. Therefore, meaning is not predetermined and is rather created after the determination of something. And you can see the ties this has to existentialist ideas of perhaps meaning in life not being predetermined and being created after you determine that meaning for yourself. And so, yeah, you can see the applications of this idea of difference already. 
and the signifier signified distinction is arbitrary and the signified begins after the signifier. So what we talked about earlier with the example of the tree. So in this case, the tree, as in the physical tree that I perceive, that would only come to existence after I represent it with the signifier. Because if there is a tree, but my mind does not know what it is, and I cannot think of a word to describe it, then it's just some random object in the world. But then after I have the word tree in my mind, and I prescribe it to the object I see, then I give existence to that tree, and the tree becomes a tree. And Derrida justifies this by saying that the meaning of a word is dependent on the meaning of other words, which are in turn dependent on meanings of other words. So we can never fully know the meaning of word because the meaning would be endlessly deferred to us. He then remarks that meaning is the play of differences between words. And so this is Derrida's justification of the idea. And we can illustrate this with an example. So consider this, you have no knowledge of Arabic at all, but you try to learn the language by reading through an Arabic dictionary. However, you will never be able to learn anything about the meaning of the words in the language through this method, because each Arabic word is defined through other Arabic words and you have zero knowledge of the language. So although you might be able to identify common features between the different signs and symbols which make the Arabic words, you will still not understand the meaning of those words because there's a clear difference between the semantic content of a language and its phonetic or written representation. So we can see in the image above an actual page from an Arabic dictionary. And myself, I do not read any Arabic. So of course, I have no idea what any of it means. And I'm also unable to gain any new information from it, at least from the actual meaning of the words alone, because it's still possible to identify the morphological characteristics of the language, as in how it's written and the different characters and the patterns and how exactly it's written, but I will still not be able to know what any of it means. And hence, the way we understand words must not be through definitions, which involves word Acquire their own definitions through other words. And we also can't understand it through context, which is the classic structuralist view that was championed by Sasha, because it involves words as well. So you still can't learn a new word from context, because if you don't know one word, but you know all the words surrounding it in, say, a sentence, then you would still have to know those words in the sentence before. So you can never understand it fully through context either. And instead, Derrida suggests we can only understand language through individual interpretation. Therefore, if all meaning derives from individual interpretation, this means absolute truth cannot exist because meaning would be fully relative to different selves. So any sense of absolute truth or absolute meaning would be impossible unless everyone interprets things in exactly the same way, which would go against the definition of interpretation itself. 
So finally, we come to Derrida's most central idea, which is that of deconstruction. So it can be considered Derrida's method of criticism as a whole. So for example, challenging binary oppositions and pointing out the underlying privilege we have of one part of the opposition of the other, also known as logocentrism. So in other words, deconstruction is the close examination of the language and logic of different mediums and allows for the deconstructor to find innate contradictions within things and to uncover assumptions and ideas that are held without evidence. So in a sense, this can also be tied to the phenomenological view of bracketing, where the phenomenologist suspends any assumptions they have and questions everything. And so it's very much like the Socratic method too, but presented in a form that is more postmodern. And yeah, so this method has many applications, such as the classic psychoanalytic technique, where the psychoanalyst asks the client to say whatever words come to their mind, regardless of how inappropriate or incoherent they may all seem. So for example, in Freudian psychoanalysis, there's the idea of a Freudian slip, where if you say or interpret something accidentally and in the wrong way, then that means it reveals something unconscious that you desire or fear. And Derrida's deconstructionism lays a stable logical foundation for the rest of postmodernism to operate on. And so in the next session, we will talk more about the sociological implications of this theory. And much of postmodernism which followed is to do with sociology and politics and power and the relations between individuals and societies and other individuals and ideology. And so at the beginning, postmodernism began as just this linguistic semiotic theory then later on, post-Derrida developed into something much more. Thank you.